0: You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. If
1: you have your Bible, can you say amen? If you don't have your Bible, say I'm cheating. I'm cheating. All right, yeah, let's all be honest here tonight. If not, we can repent in a few minutes. If you have your Bible, if you could turn with me to John chapter 6. I have a quick word here for tonight. I feel like this word is directed towards our young people, but just because it's directed towards them doesn't mean that God doesn't have something for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. You don't have to be a teenager here to receive the word of God and be challenged and changed by his word. Amen? Amen. 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 John chapter 6 is an amazing story uh, that we've all heard many times about Jesus feeding the 5,000 it's actually the only miracle in the Bible that uh, is is repeated in all four Gospels. No other miracles repeated in all four Gospels. Obviously, God wanted to get different perspectives on this passage, and I appreciate this this this, uh, this story. It's, it really speaks to me, and we're going to talk about it here tonight. John chapter six, verse one. It says, "After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee." which is a sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were deceased. Then a great multitude followed him. Yeah, I already read that. Okay. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near just give you a little context here because John doesn't speak about this, but Mark does, and I think Luke does as well. But before they get to this point, Jesus has just sent out his disciples two by two to preach repentance to different cities. He told them, don't take anything with you. Don't take a bag. Don't take money. I want you to live off of the land and the people that will be providing for you. They'll give you food. They'll give you shelter, and I want you to preach repentance. And this is what the disciples did. They went and they preached repentance. They cast out demons. They did amazing things and healings, and now they're meeting up with Jesus right here in this moment. So Jesus lifts up his eyes in verse 5, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Philip, How are we going to feed all these people? How are you going to do it right now, Philip? What's your plan? And Philip responds kind of analytical, and he's like, hold on. He says, but this he said to test him. This was Jesus saying he went to test him, for he knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient. Everybody say, not sufficient. sufficient. It's not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have A little. Everybody say a little. little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, But there's a lad here. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? I want to speak tonight on the title More Than Enough more than enough. If we can bow our heads and pray that God would use me and speak to us in this moment, in Jesus' name, anoint my lips, God. Remove any pride, remove any selfishness, Lord Jesus, remove anything that's not of you, and I allow, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit, to take authority in this room, God. Speak through me. Use me as your clay, Lord. God, as your vessel here tonight, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that your word will fall on good soil. God, that our youth and our church would hear your word and respond, Lord God, with joy and gladness in their heart and be challenged and changed by your word, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor before you're seated and say, more than enough. Now, having... Three brothers growing up was always a fun time. There was a lot of competitiveness, a lot of fights, and a lot of playing sports, and a lot of competitiveness, and a lot of fights, and a lot of playing sports. This is what we did. Sports, fights, competitiveness. That's all we did growing up. And there was a lot of beneficial things that I received in my time growing up from my brother's one in particular was being able to guard my emotions. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I can't share my emotions very well. Amber is still trying to take a sledgehammer to knock down these walls of Jericho just to get through all these walls that have been built up over the years because we don't show our emotions in our family. That's just not what we do. Another thing growing up that uh, was a benefit was seeing my other brother's failures so that I knew what not to do. Right? Anybody have siblings and you see what they did and you're like, you know what? They got in trouble for that. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Right? And uh, one of the other things that really stuck out was you learn very fast what you're good at and what you're not good at. There was no hiding what you were good at and there was no hiding what you were bad at. Every day there was some kind of competition. Who was the tallest? Who was the strongest? Who was the weakest? Who was the best at this sport? Who was the best at uh, video games? Who was the best at, you know, being the best? There was many things that we were competitive about. And even still to this day, we look at these small things and we try to get an edge on each other. For instance, I have a quick picture to show you. It's a, it's a picture, a lovely picture of my brothers, and, oh, wrong picture. <laughs> there you go. Beat the punchline, but it's okay. As you can see, there's my brothers and uh, my dad, and we are so competitive that you can see the next picture. Go ahead, Ben, go to that next picture. We always stand on our tippy toes because we always want to get a leg up on the other, this is how low we are, okay? You can look at us, you can judge us, but for some reason, we're always trying to get the leg up on each other. And I say all this to lay the foundation of what story I'm about to tell you that happened in my childhood. I was about 13 years old. Any 13-year-olds here tonight? Okay, a couple of them, yeah, there we go, 13 years old. And it was a Friday night, and my brother Andrew, which we all know, was playing varsity soccer for Norwood High. Yeah, wow. Amazing, right? Amazing. Andrew thought very highly of himself, right? Yeah, still does, I think, a little bit. Um, Sorry, no more jabs at Andrew. Andrew's actually good in this, and what we're about to find out. Anyway, one night there, of course, was an argument that arose at the Sizemore household, and for some reason... Andrew thought he can run a five-minute mile. Now, if you're not a runner, uh, it's almost impossible to do. I don't even think it's ever been done. If anybody could do it, it's probably Matt Whelan. Matt, that's it's not possible? No, not possible. Matt can't even do it, right? So Andrew is talking himself up, thinking, man, I can run this five-minute mile. And of course, we're going to call him out and say, let's go do it. I got a stopwatch. Let's go Check to see how fast you can run. So what do we do? We go down to Shea Stadium in Norwood, and we jump over the gate, and we turn on the lights. No, hold on. We get there. We call. We say, can we come in? And we unlock the door, and they let us in, and then we go over, and, and we get the stopwatch, and Andrew starts to run around the track, and he's about halfway there, and we're like, wow, two and a half minutes. He's flying, but then he starts to slow down a little bit, right? And then we're like, okay, he's not going to make it. He was fast, but he was not no five-minute fast. It was about 6.15 is what our brother Aaron... Well, 5.15, yeah, yeah, okay, 5.15. 6.15 is what Aaron said last night. I don't remember, I was 13. At this point in time, it turned into an all-out competition like it normally does of who can really run the fastest, and it went from, you know what, we don't need a stopwatch anymore, we're just going to race each other, Okay. So of course, Aaron and Andrew start off running, and Andrew beats Aaron. Can we get a hand? There we go. Andrew's fast. Yeah. And there are other friends there that night, and I, you know, they're all running against each other. They're a little bit older than me, and and so of course, I have my Nike shirt on. I got my Swish pants. You know, the ones that make uh, the noise when you're, you know, running. I don't know if they make those anymore. <laughs> right? Those things. I drank my Gatorade. I did my stretches. And I'm running. And I'm ready. And the only person that I'm going to race right now is my younger brother, Austin. And my mind, I'm thinking, wow, I'm just going to beat Austin. It's going to be no problem. Then I'm going to race Andrew. I'm going to smoke him. And it's going to be no big deal at all. Everyone's going to think, wow, Anthony is the fastest brother. Wow, this is great. And then it comes push, comes a shove, and I realize I have to race Austin. And, and Austin at this time is an eight-year-old. Let's go, Anthony. Let's go, Anthony. That's right. That's right. I'm so confident. And I start to take off, and he starts to take off a little bit in front of me. And, he's, and I'm, not, I'm not too worried. But I'm confident myself. And I'm like, I can definitely still beat him. This is no problem at all. And he keeps going in front of me. And I'm trying my hardest to catch up. And I'm running, running. And I'm thinking, should I trip him right now? Because I can't lose him. I don't trip him. And Austin beats me. Austin beats me. Now, it's one thing for my older brothers to beat me at this time. They're grown men. They work out. They have full-time jobs, right? They're, They're... They're used to, uh, you know, their bodies. I'm 13 years old, right? We we aren't even used to our bodies at that time. But it's another thing for your eight-year-old. Bowl cut, you know, straight across right here. Fast as lightning freak of nature that he was to beat you. I knew in that moment I was not going to let that down. I knew in that moment... It wasn't gonna to change tomorrow. It wasn't gonna change the next week because he's gonna get faster as I try to get faster. I knew it didn't matter what I can do in that moment. I'm slow. Now I'm slow when it comes to the brothers and size more sense. I'll smoke all of you guys right now. You want to go race in the parking lot. We can do that, uh-huh. except for maybe a couple of you. You might be fast. Yeah, definitely you. But it was a hard pill to swallow, the fact that he was faster than me. It was a feeling of hopelessness hung over me like a cloud, right, in a competitive household like that, the slowest one. It's a miserable feeling when you come to the realization that everything that I have and everything that I'm doing is not enough. Has anyone ever been there before? Maybe it was... Last week, we, it doesn't, or a month ago, you, you put your mind, your body, your soul on the line, and it's still not enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough ability or talent. I don't have enough resources at my hand. What I have is not good enough to accomplish the goals set before me. And we've all been there, right? Can you show hands? We've been there before. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was a couple weeks ago when we we're watching Joe Burrow get sacked about 15 times, and we're hopeless and thinking, "I can't do anything in this moment because I can't. I, I can't be a lineman. That's not going to happen." <laughs> My resources are insufficient. You size up the situation. You recognize that we're inadequate. No matter what I do or how hard I try. I'm going to fall short. And I've come to tell you tonight that this is exactly how the disciples felt in this moment. If I could have a couple of my volunteers come up. They're going to be uh, a few disciples. Uh, We have Peter, James, and we'll just go with John, unless you want to be Judas. Judas? Okay, not Judas. And we got our Jesus over here, and I'll be a disciple later on here, of course jesus with his flowing hair and um anyway it's jesus (laughs) a multitude of people imagine i tell you guys right now that you have to feed all these people good luck jesus has just challenged them i want you to feed all of these people and you can imagine as they're talking to each other feeling the weight in that moment how am i going to feed all of these people there's no way Thomas is probably doubting right now, saying, you know what? I think Jesus is just pulling our chain. John, do you have something up your sleeve? Do you got a couple cows hidden over the hill that you've been hiding them out somewhere? James, can you put in a Kroger pickup list or something? How far away is Chick-fil-A, right? That's probably what they're debating right now. Jesus has just asked us what we are going to do and how we are going to feed all of these people. Could you imagine these 12 men trying to wrap their brain around what is being asked of them? The same 12 men who just left their household, left their jobs, left all their money, left all their resources, are depending upon someone else to feed them and shelter them, are now being asked to do this task. They didn't know where they were sleeping that night. They didn't know what they were going to eat for dinner. In no possible way could they provide for such a crowd. There is no way this was going to work. There was no way Uber Eats was going to make it out in time. There was no way that the food trucks were coming down for the party, right? There was no way this was going to happen. It was an impossible situation. Turn to your neighbor and say, impossible. It was an impossible situation, and that's exactly why Jesus asked them this question. It says he asked them because he already knew the answer. He knew what he was going to do, but they did not. You see, feeding 5,000 was more than just providing food for those who are hungry. Jesus was teaching his disciples in this profound moment a lesson that they would need to learn in order to achieve their goals. And I hope as a youth group we hear this tonight. I know you've been following Jesus for a little bit of time now. I know you have seen him do some incredible things. I know you have prayed and cast out demons and you have changed the world and healed people and you have done amazing things. But listen to me for this moment. If you are going to be a follower of me, you are going to have to get used to feeling and being insufficient. You are going to have to get used to and grow accustomed to not measuring up enough. You are going to have to get used to inadequacy or lack. We've got to learn to let go of being in control of what's going to happen next and allow God to do his work. Amen. Listen, Oxano, if you want to be used by God and change your world and those around you and live out a purpose that he has for your life, you must understand that your talent alone is never going to be enough. As great as it is, it's never going to be enough. Your gifts and your abilities, they are great, but they're only going to get you so far. Your money, your education, those are great things, and you should strive after them. But you can only achieve so much with those. You need God. I'll say it one more time. You need God in your life. Amen. God did not design us to be able to handle everything on our own. In fact, he made us imperfect. We have any perfect people in here? I know there's going to be funny people. I knew knew it. He made us imperfect. He made us with shortcomings. He made us this way so that we would rely upon him. It is in this moment of weakness where God is made strong. And after you tried all that you can and still come up short, God can make up the difference. It is at the point of not enough where we see that God can prove that he is more than enough. It is in the moment where we find the disciple Andrew, and this is who I'm going to be for a little bit. The disciple Andrew, who decides to take a little different route than these disciples. These disciples were trying to convince Jesus just to go home. They wanted them just to go home and to send everybody home to go eat because they're tired it's getting late and it's getting they're getting hungry and the hangriness is just coming out of them and andrew decides instead of debating on what we should do and trying to convince jesus to do this i'm going to use the resources that god has given me has anybody ever been in this moment where you have a weight on your life and God wants you to do something, and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to pray about it. Jesus' name, please uh, touch the situation, and that's it. And you think God's just going to heal it or touch it right in that moment, and you're done with it. You don't use the resources that you have and God has applied to your life like your word. You don't use the resources like our pastors or the leadership or their friends and their testimonies that they have given you. You don't use the Holy Spirit to guide you and uh, align you and tell you what you should do and not, and you should not do. Instead, we just say, "You know what, God, just speak to me and help me out in this situation. I need your help." Right. Can't do it. Can you help us, God? Can't do it. Can you help us? I have a need. Can you help me? Instead of using the resources, I can imagine as Andrew was searching the crowd for something. That would help him. He would go out to the people and say, what do you have? Do you have something in your hand? Do you have anything that you can give to me? Is there anything that you have? Is there anything that you have that you can give to me that I can give to the Lord so he can use it? What do you have? What's in your hand? What is it that you have that I can give to God? Maybe it was a Bible verse that someone gave him. Joy Or uh, sorrow may come for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Right? Maybe it was your mercies and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to hold and cling to that. Maybe it was a testimony. What is it that you have? Is it a testimony that God has delivered you, that he has set you free? It might seem like a little, but you know what? I'm going to cling on to that in this moment. I'm going to cling on to it and know that your promises are true, God. Until he finds... A lad. And the lad has two fish and five loaves. And he realizes in this moment what seems like might be a little. He doesn't take it over to those who are skeptical and ready to go home. No, he brings it to the one who can. The one who can make a difference. The one who can bless He takes this and he brings it to Jesus because we serve a God who is more than enough. Amen? This little bit would feed 5,000 men. And it doesn't even say how many women or children that were there. But as Jesus begins to break the bread, he starts to hand it off to his disciples so that they can touch the miracle. Not just so they can touch the miracle, but so that they can pass the miracle to those around them. It wasn't just in this moment where Jesus is saying, "You know what? I'll take care of it." No, he wanted them to be sufficient. They wanted he wanted them to have a part in this miracle. He wanted them to reach those who are hurting, and those who are lost, and those who have a need in their life. Instead, he wants them to make the difference. Philippians 4, 19 tells us, My God shall supply all your needs. Not some of your needs. Not a little bit of your needs. But all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This Greek word supply here is pleuro. pleuro. Everybody say pleuro. We're all saying it wrong if we're saying it. It means to make full and to fill up, to cause, to be abound, to furnish or supply liberally. You see, when the supply runs out, God's supply is endless. When our reach only goes so far, his reach is effortless. When the money gets tight, the storehouse has no end. When our capacity reaches its limit, his capacity stretches beyond our human comprehension. See, Jeremiah 32, 17 tells us that there is nothing too hard for our God. God does not lack in wisdom, but he is omniscient. God does not lack in power, because he is omnipotent. God does not lack in authority, his reach, is endless. God does not lack in grace. His grace abounds much more. He does not lack in mercy. His mercies are new every morning. God does not lack in love, because He is, in fact, love. God does not lack in peace, because His peace passes all understanding. God does not lack in joy, because He gives joy new every morning. God does not lack in anything in this world. We serve a God who has resources that are unlimited. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All of the earth is His and the fullness thereof. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the El Shaddai, the sufficient one. He is the, old, the, the, he is the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He is the God of more than enough. Amen. Why don't you put our hands together and let's all stand. If God is more than enough in your life, why don't you stand and worship him for a moment? If you agree with me, why don't you lift up your hands? God, I know I don't deserve it, but I put it in your hands, and I know, Lord Jesus, you can bring healing into my life. You can bring deliverance. You can bring salvation. There is nothing too hard for our God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. 2 Corinthians twelve eight says this concerning this thing this is paul's talking about this thorn in his side concerning this thing i pleaded with the lord three times that it might depart from me and he said my he said to me my grace is sufficient say sufficient with me my grace is sufficient for you it's enough for you it's more than enough for you don't rely on the things of this world don't rely on money don't rely on education don't rely on these things cuz my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities in reproaches and needs And persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak. Why don't you point to yourself. When I am weak. When I am weak. Then I am strong. One of the most hardest couple days of my life was last year. Amber was pregnant with Our baby girl, Raya. And we were having some complications. We didn't have an answer. Doctors couldn't tell us what to do. I didn't know what to do. I was insufficient. I didn't have all the answers. I remember one night just sitting on the couch crying which I don't cry much but this night I was I was crying to God because I needed his help I needed his help I needed peace I needed comfort I needed an answer to the to what's going on in this moment And I remember closing my eyes just saying Lord whatever it is I put it in your hands God, whatever it is, Lord Jesus, I know that you are faithful. I know that you are true, and I know that you're going to be there for me. And wouldn't you know, in the moment of my distress and my worry and in my fear, I feel a hand on my back. Small little hand, just rubbing my back. Of course, I thought Roman was in bed by now. <laughs> He likes to get out of bed a lot. Still does. And he wasn't able to speak very well at this moment, but he could say a few words. Roman's sitting there rubbing my back and said, Daddy, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And when I think about, you think about God and how he can use donkeys and how he can use Many things in this world to speak to us. I did not expect my two-year-old son in this moment to speak a prophetic word over my life that it's going to be okay. That's not something I was planning for. It's not something I, I, I thought was going to happen. But I knew that God was trying to remind me, doesn't matter. doesn't matter what's going to happen in your future. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be there to protect you. I'm going to be there to guide you and lead you. If you just let me. If you just let me. If you just show me in your weakness. That's when I can step in. That's when I can do the work and get receive the glory. When I think about our young people in this moment. The last two years have been crazy. Could you imagine being a teenager during this time? Watching the world shut down from a pandemic. Not knowing if you can go to school the next week or not. Not knowing if you should wear a mask or not wear a mask. Racial tension. Wars being started. Political correctness. U.S. election. Financial stress. Stress in the homes, all of this. If you're an 11th grader, you haven't had a normal year since 8th grade. Think about that. All this while trying to figure out what you're going to do in your future and in your life. All of this trying to figure out, do I have friends? Do I have people that I can rely on? Can I build friendships? Can I learn how to drive? Can I just be a teenager for a little bit? You guys have been through it. And if you don't hear anything else that I said tonight, I want you to hear this. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to be insufficient. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel pain and feel a mixed a mixed bucket of emotions. It's okay. You've been through it. You don't have to put on the strong suit today. I promise you this. It may not look like it right now, but on the other side of this pain. There is triumph. Because God is more than enough. And on the other side of this failure is redemption. Because God is more than enough. And the other side of this sickness is healing. Because God is more than enough. And the other side of this mountain is victory because God is more than enough. And the other side of heartache is joy unspeakable and full of glory. The other side of depression is peace that passes understanding. I promise you in this moment, if you would just respond to God's call in your life, if you would just bring your burdens down here to this altar, you will leave with a lighter load. I know you've been carrying this weight for a little bit of time now. And I know it may seem stressful and you don't know what to do and you have nowhere to turn to because you feel so disconnected. But I promise you, if you let God take control of your life, if you allow him to take your pain, to take your worry, to take your stress, he will do amazing things in your life. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you freedom like you never have god has done amazing things in these last two years but it's okay to not be okay it's okay to be vulnerable in this moment why don't we lift up our hands and let's just praise the lord god i need you right now i need you now more than ever before lord all the weight of school all the weight of the world's problems all the weight of a family situation all the weight of the disease and the sickness in our lives, all the weights that we've been carrying, God, we offer it up to you. I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that you would take authority in this room right now, God. Take authority over these young people's lives, Lord Jesus. Ease their yoke, ease their burden, ease their pain in Jesus'